It says in verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, uh, the priest of Median. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Make a point of that, what his answer is, here I am. Verse 5, then he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with the milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh. And you may bring my people and children of Israel out of Egypt. Now we're at the text. This is where you really want to concentrate. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and uh, say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God bless the reading of his word. There's a lot here. You know, you can read over very quickly and it just seems dramatic, but there's one of those times where every single line of what happens in this encounter that Moses has with the burning bush is important. It's one of those times where you would look back over what you have just experienced if you were Moses and say, what did he mean by that? Uh, God speaks very straightforward. His words are chosen 
carefully. And the use of the pronoun I keeps going back and forth. Moses keeps suggesting, what do I do? And God keeps saying, I am. You know, sometimes one of the things that prevents us from serving God as we should is me. You know, there are several TV ministries. Uh, There are several religious movements that are based wholly on the idea that you should believe in yourself, the self-esteem movement. You should believe in yourself. God don't make no junk. God wants you to be all that you can be. God has blessings that he wants to pour out on you. And he loves you. That's what the whole point is. You are the center of God's world. You know, that's kind of flawed. Uh, The Bible that you and I have in front of us, it really doesn't mesh with that. I mean, that's part of the reason why people have a hard time talking about sin is simply for the fact, I thought God loves us and he loves us anyway. Let's not talk about our flaws and our failures. But we, when we read the Bible, God's everything about dealing with sin. Because he sees sin as harmful. It puts, a, puts a, an obstacle between you and your ability to serve him and to worship him. And so we see that the gospel that you and I believe in, the Bible that we read, and every Sunday we open up this text, that the Bible is a whole lot more radical than that you just got to believe in yourself and God loves you and you ought to love yourself. In fact, I've heard many times in the back pews of a church, you know, you got to love yourself first before you can love anybody else. And people say, amen, that, that makes sense to me. But that's not the truth of the gospel. And, and there's one of the reasons why there's such opposition to a pulpit that proclaims the word of God accurately is that, you know, I'm getting a lot of correction here. I'm getting a lot of friction. You know, I'm walking out of here. I'm not feeling very loved. I'm not feeling very good about myself. It's because that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that we are flawed, that we're sinful, that there's nothing good within us. Just like when you, that baby's born, you can look at that baby and you say, that baby's innocent. We'll even say things, that innocent baby. Well, you try going in that nursery at 2 o'clock in the morning when it's screaming and hollering and not happy. You know, and, and who teaches a baby to sin? Well, that baby already innately knows it. That's the way we're born in. We're born into sin. So this radical teaching of the scriptures, it comes up very early. We've only got one book before this, Genesis, where we had the fall in the garden, and they were kicked out of the garden. Now, very early in the book of Exodus, God reveals himself to Moses, and the thing we see is is that Moses has an ego problem. Remember, he had been raised in the palace of Egypt. Uh, He had been a part of royalty. And then he commits a murder and becomes a, a fugitive from the law. Here he is now, 80 years old, and he has an encounter with God, and the very first thing he says in his being naive 
What in the world do you want me to do about it? I, I'm not capable. I'm just a shepherd out here. I, for 40 years I've been out here working for somebody else. And you want me to go back to Egypt where I have lost all credibility. Uh, it may actually cause me to get arrested. I'm an enemy of the state. You want me to go up there and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. This is a huge moment. Moses has to admit, I'm not the man for the job. God says, I chose the right person. Because it's not going to be your power. It's not going to be your influence. It's not going to be your confidence. It's going to be me. I've chosen you. The promise that we find in these few verses that actually... God is communicating to us, if you want to know what is the gospel here early in the Old Testament, is that I am not, God saying, I am not going to run out on you. I'm not going to abandon you. That's the promise. It's funny how when Jesus is relating to his disciples, he keeps telling them that, that as well. He keeps saying, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. What he's saying here, God Jehovah, the voice coming out of the burning bush is, don't worry, I'll be there with you. Moses knows where he's at. He's there at the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. A place that they had believed with superstition that God existed. I don't know if it was just the appearance of the mountain, or whether the fog is at the top of the mountain, or maybe something miraculous had happened there in the past. He knew that he was in a place where it would be ripe for an encounter with God. He knew exactly where he's at. But he didn't expect a bush to spontaneously combust and a voice come out of it and that voice to call him by his name specific, Moses! Moses! You know, if you're a fugitive from the law, Somebody calling your name makes you nervous. You're in a remote area, in the, in the wilderness. wilderness. And then all of a sudden, your name is being called. It's kind of spooky, kind of scary. But this voice speaking to you very clearly and demanding at that moment that you take action Enough to make you feel insecure. You know, Moses has a problem with insecurity. Remember one of the things he said was, uh, Who, me? You want me to go talk to Pharaoh? I, I stutter. I'm not a public speaker. I, you know, I, I'm not the man for the job. You need to pick somebody else. It's kind of funny if you've read the rest of the stories, he tells them, well, I'll send Aaron with you. Aaron will speak for you. Aaron never speaks. Never speaks to Pharaoh. But at the moment that satisfied, Moses concerned that he was going to be there left out all alone and all eyes were going to be on him. He needs power. He needs stability. It's one of the things that we're looking for as we face life is 
How are we going to have power and stability? How are we going to be consistent? How are we going to say the right thing at the right time? How are we going to be able to discern what is the right thing to do or what is the wrong thing to do? Power and stability. Here's the first point. Power and stability comes from knowing who God is. Knowing who God is. You see, the opposite of power and stability is weak and insecure. We become victims. So much of what people are bringing to their faith is victimhood. You know, they're always, God needs to do this for me, God needs to do that for me, woe is me, I am so unworthy. You know, low self-esteem, if you will. Knowing who God is makes me powerful. It makes me stable. It's not based on me, it's based on Him. Now, what does God think about the situation that you are in this morning? You know, whatever it is, whatever you're facing, whatever concerns you, one of the things that we will see is that God says, I will deliver you out of it. Didn't say you won't be uncomfortable. Didn't say that you wouldn't be in a situation where you'd have to do something out of the norm, that you wouldn't have to exercise faith. He just promises, I will deliver you out of it. God wants to change your situation. But here's the point of the sermon. God wants to change the situation that you're in, that you know has got to change, but he wants to use you to do it. We always come to God, God, fix it! God says, I'm going to fix it by using you. God, I want you to do this with my family. God, you need to do something miraculously with this child or this relative. Well, he's going to use you to do it. What do you mean, me? You're God, I'm not. No, that's the whole point of faith. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to use you. Moses is concerned about his relatives who are in, in prison, in captivity, the politics of it. The hate of how they have been done wrong for 400 years. God says, I'm concerned about it too. But guess who I'm going to send? You. Who am I? No, that's not the question, who am I? It is, who am I? But I'm sending you. That's the tension of faith. We always look for God to be passive participants. To not have to do anything. Who am I to do anything? I'm not God. In fact, we even made a bumper sticker about it a few years ago. It became very popular. Let go and let God. That's not in the scriptures. It makes a nice cliche and it certainly gives you an out. But God always says, I'm going to use you. God wants to change your situation by using you. Power and stability to be that person is going to come from knowing who God is. You see, Moses knew what the problem was. 
Moses feared God, but he didn't know God. That's the whole point here. There's this encounter in the wilderness that begins with Moses. When God spoke to him out of a burning bush at 80 years old, the first 40 years he was in the palace in Egypt. The next 40 years he's in the wilderness. They are silent years as far as we know. But then at 80 years old, you know, there are some people who are 80 years old still in good physical shape. Evidently he is too. He's out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. But he couldn't retire, could he? But in this situation, God speaks to him and says, Every part of your life has come down to this moment. The entire purpose of 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, to get you to the point for this encounter and this challenge. God, I wish you'd come to me when I was 40. Or 50. Or even 20 years ago, 60 years ago, I had more stamina. But it's kind of hard to be a presence in front of a Pharaoh when osteoporosis has got you bent over. Or when you point your finger, it's shaking. But this is not about you, Moses. I'm going to be the one that's there with you. It's going to be my power, not yours. But you are the one that's got to stand. You're the one that's got to speak for me. Your power and your stability is going to come from knowing who I am. Number two, power and stability comes from losing the preoccupation with self. Moses, when he brought up the whole idea who am I? He was looking to be dismissed. He was uh, looking for another answer, maybe like this. You know, I've been looking and you're the most qualified individual. I believe in you, Moses. You have skills. You have influence. I believe in you, Moses. But that's not what was said. It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. Moses didn't get the answer he wanted. He didn't get the praise, the affirmation, the encouragement. You know, a lot of people, that's all they want from church. is affirmation and encouragement, and we believe in you. But that's not what Moses got. You know, parents, the parental model for many years now, probably for the last 50 years, has been build up a child's self-esteem. You know, that that's the whole key to creating an individual who will fare well in life. Love yourself. That's what self-esteem means. Be centered on you. And then we wonder why we raise children who are narcissistic, centered on themselves. 
not worried about anybody but themselves. Or they struggle because they have not lived up to the aspirations they had for themselves. There's some heavy stuff here. I may even have to get the tape and go back and listen to this. Because the idea is, is that this is at the center of the problem of man. Here with Moses, the lawgiver, he's beginning to approach it. Parents need to learn that God has to tear down a child's high self-esteem. David, I don't believe that. Let me read something to you. It's found in Matthew, the 10th chapter, verses 38 and 39. Jesus said it. Listen carefully. And he who does not take his cross, cross is an instrument of crucifixion, a death instrument. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life, do you know it? Will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. To follow Christ, I have to crucify my self-esteem. That's just the opposite message that some ministries are putting out there. TV ministries. The books that you see at uh, Walden Books or Barnes and Noble, they got a whole section about loving yourself, self-help, self-success. But the message of the Bible is, is that if you're going to follow him, if you're going to walk in faith, you're going to have to lose yourself. Paul said you have to crucify the flesh daily. The truth of the matter is, it's not about low self-esteem. It's not about high self-esteem. It's not about preoccupation with yourself because the whole problem is that is sinful. The only esteem we need is God esteem, the love of God, the awareness of who he is. And the only way we're ever going to accomplish anything is we're going to have to, in a very radical way, become fanatical about Jesus. The definition for radical is a person who holds or follows strong convictions or extreme principles to the extreme. That's the radical truth of the scriptures. We have to not be centered on ourselves. We have to be centered on God, aware of who he is. The third point this morning in your note sheet, power and stability come from trusting God. Now, how does God solve Moses' weakness and insecurity? Who am I? I stutter. I'm not the person for the job. I can tell you ten reasons why I'm not the man for the job. God just answers this straightforward. I'll be there with you. But you're the one that's got to go. You're the one that's got to speak when I speak to you. Do what I tell you to do. Your faith is to trust me 
for the heat of the moment and the depth of the battle. To dismiss all of the excuses that we come up with for not doing something God has told us to do and simply resign ourselves, my job is to go. Because you see, God is, as I know this is uh, some deep stuff, some of it, but God is self-contingent. He needs nothing. He's dependent on no one. Or he's not dependent on circumstances. Meaning, you can count on him. The kind of confidence that we need at Redditch Grove Baptist Church as we face the future they look around and say, who am I? I don't know what you think about church growth. You can say, well, we've tried it before. We've done all these things. But has God spoken and said, don't worry, I'll be there for you. Speak when I say speak. Go when I say go. Adjust as I tell you to adjust. Because one of the things he told him is he already told him that the victory is guaranteed. Did you catch it? He said, the proof is going to be and that you are going to be back on this very piece of property here at the foot of Mount Horeb and the children of Israel are going to be with you. Meaning, it's guaranteed. Guaranteed. You have God's guarantee. He didn't mention anything about Moses. God guarantees the victory. Now that's radical. Now, he says, here's your power statement. Whenever anybody questions what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing, just tell them, I sent you. I sent you. You know, they questioned Jesus at one point. You know, the great thing about the Bible is it continually supports these principles and develops them all the way through Scripture. You start out in Genesis. Here we are this morning in Exodus. And these principles don't just go away. They are developed. So let's fast forward this all the way to the time of Jesus. Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. Here's what Jesus said in John, the 8th chapter, verse 58. Here's what he said. Nobody knows who Jesus is. He's the son of a carpenter. He's from a little place called Nazareth. He's nobody. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. We all went back here in the book of Exodus and the first opportunity God had to identify who he was he simply said I am. Jesus begins his ministry he says I am. But he doesn't stop there. He continues all the way through John. You ever heard of something called the I am statements of Jesus? They're all the way through the book of John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. 
I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. I'm the gate, the door. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection of the light. Then he finally says about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. It's all about who he is. Not about who you are. In fact, Paul needed to humble some people. Paul had the education. He had the position as a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a person who said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he had to be humbled too. He's finally at the end of his life saying, Me? I'm the cheapest of sinners. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I am nobody. But I serve the great I am. This is one of those times where what the Bible says and what seems to be contemporary logic are up against each other. They butt heads. The only way to come to Jesus is to get down on the knees. In fact, there's something done in the Bible that we don't see too often, particularly in the Baptist church. But the physical response to encountering God often led them to lie down prostrate on the floor. To put their face in the dirt. In fact, when Moses ran into the burning bush, he was afraid. And God says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. You're in the presence of greatness. And you're not great. This doesn't make logical sense. I'm taught to believe in myself. I spend my life trying to build wisdom, wealth, respect. And yet I'm told in the kingdom of God, I've got to crucify that. I've got to get rid of myself. That's not part of the credentials that I lift up to God. That's why so many of us can't worship, because worship's all about magnifying Him. We want to magnify ourselves. But one of the things that modern Christian faces is the idea is that confession is not just something you do to get in the kingdom. Confession is something that you do continually to stay in a right relationship with God. Confession. Admitting that there are flaws in your life. Issues in your life. Here's the final statement. The amazing thing is that God knows you so well, yet He still chooses to love you. He still chooses to use you. He's perfecting you. 
Some of us believe our Christianity is just a matter of, you know, rounding off the rough edges and taking grace for the things that we don't refuse to change. No, God says, come follow me, take up your cross, instrument of death, crucifixion, and follow me where I'm going. That means there's going to be a change of location, a change of space in the head. There has to be this idea that I am following God and there's nothing he can ask me to do that I'm going to resist. Because he says, I am with you. As we, as a church, are together and we're going, what is God getting ready to do in our church? You know, I have looked around, and we'll say this kindly, I have looked around and we're a great bunch of people, but you know, we're not spring chickens anymore. And we've been here a long time, and, and the attendance that we have in our church has been something other that has slowly, gradually happened. It didn't just happen overnight. And so there's a kind of sense in which something drastic has to happen. And we've called a new preacher, and he's bivocational, so there's a limit to what he can do. And he's not a spring chicken either. But one of the things that we look at is we go, I don't know if we have it within us. It ain't got nothing to do with you or me. God has the power. He has the resources. He's not dependent on anything. He can make streams in the desert. That's a quote from the Bible. He can make streams in the desert. He can uh, draw water from a rock. God can do anything he wants to do, but what he's waiting for is a group of people that say, send me. When I first asked you to call the ministry, everybody says something that becomes highly quotable. I said something that I'm surprised I even said it, particularly at that early point in my development as a pastor or a desire to be a pastor. Uh, one of the things I said is I declared to the congregation that I grew up in is that uh, I've turned my application in and it shows no experience. It shows no credentials. But I turned it in. And at the bottom, I'm marked, I'm available anytime and anywhere. And God has taken it and said, I'll use you. That's where we've got to be as a church. Whatever situation that you're facing, and, you know, there'll be a time where you entrust me with more of that in your own private lives. Whatever it is that you pray about privately, whatever that you think about that concerns you when you're alone and quiet, whatever thing in the past burdens you, whatever stain of guilt that you're facing, God is saying to you, give it to me, and I'm going to use you to fix it. 